go. The Penny Maggie Show. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch a radio dial. The Penny Show. Kicking it back. Sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and laughs. Go. I was trying to tell brothers that every every group of brothers should have at least one white guy in it. I'm serious for safety. Because when the shit goes down, somebody's gonna need to talk to the police. <laughs> Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. All right, it's Planet Mikey episode number, I don't know, what, 250 or something like that? 248. 248. Two, 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 number 248, and it's very special tonight. Stand by for that. It's gonna be a good one tonight because we're going all in on the baseball stuff. And, and by the way, I just want you all to know that we're brought to you by Pro Automotive of Webster and Dudley, Massachusetts. Go to ProAutomotiveMA.com. If you want to solve whatever problem it is your car has, unless you, like, spilled something on the seat, then don't bring it in there. They're engine people. Depends on what you spilled. Exactly. Yeah. They don't want to have anything to do with that. And the other thing is that we're also sponsored by our good friend Vinny and Shawshine Firearms and Gunsmithing yes. in Bill Rick of Massachusetts on Hadley Street. Uh, they're closed Mondays, but Tuesday through Friday, they're open 1 to 6, so you can get them then. <laughs> 1 to 6, and even he's featuring uh, the Savage 220s in stock for you hunters out there. That's right. And I'm not talking Hunter Biden either. Vinny's got your gun. <laughs> they have the super popular uh, 220s in stock for shotgun hunters, and uh, they also have the Remington 20-gauge AccuTips in stock as, uh, as well, which are... Uh, recommended as, as the ammo for that gun. That's right. These will go fast. Shawshine Firearms and Gunsmithing. Void where prohibited. Member FDIC. <laughs> Not available in stores. Uh, tonight we're going to talk baseball. And you guys feel free to jump in because I don't want to dominate this conversation just because I happen to know everything about Marty Barrett. Okay? Because we got Marty Barrett live. I think. Are you in Vegas, Marty? I'm actually in uh, Chandler Gilbert, Arizona, Phoenix. Oh, okay. So I, I thought because I thought you were in, I thought you were in Vegas. I know you went to, to ASU. I did went to, I did go to ASU, and I do still live in Vegas also. But I split time between here and Arizona now. My mom lives down here, and my brothers and my father-in-law still lives up in Las Vegas. So yeah. I get up there quite often. How's Tom Barrett doing? Tommy's doing good. That's He's your... doing really good. He's. Uh, He's living in Texas now, and uh, he's a great tennis player, so he keeps in shape that way. You know, your, but your baseball swing reminds me of somebody returning a, a rocket rod laver serve. You know, we used to swing at those pitches that were outside. You'd swing late, hit them to right. I, I used to love that about your game, Marty Barrett. Uh, <laughs> when did you pick up the hit to right uh, specialist stuff? I think I kind of always waited on the ball a little longer than most. That's why I didn't strike out a whole lot. So when you wait a little bit, you have to kind of stay inside the ball. and You shoot a lot of balls to that side, and you don't get fooled a whole lot either. But the, the, the downside is, but for me it wasn't a big deal because I wasn't a power hitter anyway, but it's, you, you rarely hit a home run. But lots of doubles. You know, you you say you didn't strike out uh, a lot. I was looking at some of your stats, okay? I think it says here, let's see. Marty Barrett had 200 and two hundred oh, here it is. Uh, in 209 times in 3,378 at-bats. I mean, that's like nothing. 200 in this day and age. <laughs> 209. Because Kyle Schwarber has struck out 215 times this season. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. 
Yeah. You you played a whole career, you know. You you had only two. Now that was that was really part of your uh, the calling of the game. But I got I got other things that you did very well, and, and I, yeah, I know you're not going to list all the things you did well, although you're probably aware of them. But I am totally aware because you're my favorite second baseman. Now, with due respect to Bobby Doerr, because I never saw him play. I go with the right. guys. The guys who I watched play, you know, Pedroia was great, but Marty Barrett got it done. Everybody, he got it done. It was no matter if it was defensively or with the stick. Hold on, you told me about he was a genius with the hidden ball trick. Well, that, that's that's just a sidebar story, Marty. How did you learn the hidden ball trick? So I learned it in the Red Sox organization from a guy named Buddy Honder. He was a coach, and he had perfected it. And uh, I don't know who he learned it from, but uh, he taught it to me when I was in Double A and. <laughs> Basically, it's after a bunt when you when I'm play, when I'm covering first on the sacrifice bunt that I just hold on to the ball and the pitchers in the organization all know about it, so they just get behind the dirt and look at the batter right. and just instinctively the runner just eventually just it's kind of an internal clock they start to lead off and I would just tag them just out tag them and, and they, they felt so did anyone ever say did they swear at you or anything after that you caught them like that they get pissed the only one that got mad was was Doug DeCensus in the big leagues as I was running off after I did it he yelled at the umpire you gonna let him get away with that little league bullshit <laughs> so I mean DeCensus was a red ass anyway but you know that's something that you don't and again it's a little league thing the hidden ball trick but nobody in little league is good enough to pull it off and to pull it off three times i think i read somewhere that it's still the record oh yeah i, I doubt if uh, I, you know i don't even hardly know every now and then a guy would be like fake a throw at first and <laughs> and then tag the guys he started to get off i mean there's been little things like that but i don't know if too many people that actually learn the hidden ball trick other than in our organization. Yeah, I know, but you should go around teaching it. to. Uh, they should pay you big bucks to go to the training camps talking only to second baseman you know, or, or first baseman or whoever might have the opportunity to use it. Yeah, but he pulled it off twice in the same month. How, yeah, who who fell on for the it? The same sec- team on the same team. <laughs> yeah, against the against the California Angels. It's a funny story. So I got Bobby Gritch. And I actually apologized when I got Bob because he was a friend of mine. We played golf together and everything. Yeah. And I got him in Anaheim. And then after I got the senses, uh, Bill Buckner was telling me that he was talking to to Bobby Gritch afterwards and said that was the greatest thing because Doug DeCensus was writing uh, um, uh, Bobby Gritch across country on the on the on the flight on the jet. Oh, Say, yeah. hey, watch out for that hidden ball trick, <laughs> Bobby. And then we ended up getting him. Yeah, I think that's it. why he was so bad oh, as yeah. the umpire. Why I was letting him get letting me get away with that? Well, I wouldn't blame the the Angels after the uh, the ALCS you had against them. The Angels organization for hating Marty Barrett for for life. <laughs> I mean, you really stuck it to them in a lot of ways. And I want to get into that a little bit because we're at, we're on the verge of the anniversary of the thirty seventh, if you can believe this, the thirty seventh anniversary of Game Six is tomorrow. With the Mets Red Sox uh, World Series, which I went to every single game. Wait, Marty, that was a great assignment they gave me at Channel Three in Hartford. They said, "I'll tell you, Mike Cox, we'd like you to go down and cover the World Series at Shea and up at Fenway." Fenway you know, I said, "Yeah, no, no problem. You pay, <laughs> I'll do that. You paying for the hotels and all the food? I'm there anyway." But uh, that was a, the uh, thrill of a lifetime covering that. Although I will say this. I saw a sign. You know, Mets fans are nasty. <laughs> you, they're they're brutal. 
after game six, I went back for game seven. There was a rain delay, right? And then they, were, then they had the game the following day. And I'm, I'm at Shea Stadium, and I see a guy holding this big sign that says, 1918 was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I wanted to tackle that dude. But, you know, that's just the, the caustic sense of humor of the, of the New York fans. But that was a the, – the thing about you, Marty, is that you still are tied – for the all-time record holder for most hits in a World Series, you, I believe, Bobby Richardson. Yep. And uh, is it Pujols, maybe? No, Lou Brock. Oh, Lou Brock, yes. Right, Lou Brock, you, and Bobby Richardson had 13 hits in one yep. World Series, which is still the all-time record. That's got to be the, a feather in your cap and one that uh, you're proud of. Oh, I'm I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of it, and it just it keeps lasting. You know, every year Houston gets in, I think Altuve is going to probably break it because he'd be the guy that could do it. But, yeah, uh, but he didn't get in there this time, so it might be safe for a while. You know, if Altuve broke it, he'd get on national TV and he'd say something like in Spanish, you know, "Follow the yellow brick road." <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like five three, isn't he, or something like that? I, what a player, isn't he something? He is. He I mean, is. What a player. And he can so hit, fun to watch. He can hit for power, and he does all those little things. And, and again, this, this gives everybody hope. Now, you're about 5'10", about my height. The, the thing is with athletes these days, you know, they're all so big. If you're, if you're like a guy who's smaller, Altuve gives you a prayer. I agree, 100%. That's I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the guy. I mean, I'm just like... <laughs> I remember Freddie Patek. Yeah, well, you know, I think four. I played against Freddie Patek uh, a little bit toward the end of his career, and he was like five foot four, shortstop for the uh, the Royals, and I think a little bit for the Angels. Pirates but, uh, too, yeah, yeah, Pirates. But this guy's something. This this pool hose. I mean, his work ethic, and I guess he's never had a soda. He doesn't drink soda, and he watches what he eats, and he's just uh, and he's he answers when he does interviews he just answers them so humbly and everything he's yeah. just really a class act yeah he's a good one we're talking to marty barrett here and marty holds the uh, or held the record for the most hits in a postseason never never mind the record he co-shares with two other guys for the most hits in a world series but 24 this is this is what's great about the 1986 season okay we get to get to postseason the red sox fans feel like they're cursed here comes marty 24 hits in 14 games, 24 hits. So <laughs> if they lose that game, game set, don't blame Marty Barrett. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no one was. That's you right. Know, it's no funny. one. No I, one's uh, I, you know, I was a huge fr- fan of uh, Thurman Munson. I, I loved him growing up, and uh, what a great player. And he had had 19. So somebody let me know, you know, at some point that, hey, you're getting close to Thurman Munson's record. And I didn't even know what it was. I go, what is it? What are you talking about? And he said he had 19 hits in in, in the playoffs. Because back then it was just the two two tiers. That's, That's right. It. You just had two seven seven game series. And uh, and and so when I got the 19th hit to tie it, and I think after the as a matter of fact, I might have passed it in this one game. They reminded me that I'd passed. I said, well, he was a hell of a player. Wow. So to be able to be in the same conversation as that cat, that's pretty good. Well, you're in, you know, the the conversation with Lou Brock. You know, Bobby Richardson was also a second baseman, but uh, yeah, and and I'm sure that his, you know, I, I, the first World Series I saw was '64, and I don't think that was the one where he had the twelve, uh, the thirteen hits though. Uh, but anyway, I, I did get to see the old Yankee Stadium. 
and Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle, my first World Series game against the Cardinals in 64. But when the Red Sox played the Mets, I got to go to every single game, take my life in my hands, walking around Shea Stadium. But I know you, you mentioned Bill Buckner, Marty. And you, you loved him as a teammate. He was a really, really great player. You know, when I talk about people that throw, that mislay the blame for the 86 outcome on, on a guy like Buckner, I got to tell you this story. Now, did you ever meet his brother, Jim Buckner? Yeah, I know Jim. Yeah. I actually played against him in the, in the minor leagues. Uh, he was with the Buffalo Pir- Pirates. And he actually went to Yavapai Junior College with a friend of mine. So, yeah, I know Jim. He actually lives in the same town here right now. Oh, is that right? Well, he, yeah. he we were outside the ballpark. And, of course, I'm doing TV, you know, for Channel 3. And, and I got the microphone. I'm looking for looking for Red Sox fans outside Shave just to get some sound from them. And this guy goes, I said, is there any Red Sox fans here? So this guy walk up, uh, walks up to me. And he goes, I'm a Red Sox fan. I said, okay, what's your name? Jim. I said, yeah, anyone ever tell you you look like Bill Buckner? He says, he's my brother. <laughs> I, I, I said, oh, my God, that's really, really crazy. So I interviewed him, did a quick thing, you know. And then afterwards, I had an 80s. My son loved Billy Buckner. Uh, my son was six at the time. And so I had a World Series ball with me. And I said, you think you get Bill to sign this for my son? Because he's a big fan. He goes, yeah. He takes the ball. It was in a baggie. He walks into the ballpark for game six. Now the game's over, and you know what happened in Game Six, you know, and the way obviously we all do. Um, out comes to the live truck. Out comes Jim Buckner, and he's you know obviously walking like he's been beat up. He's with Bob Buckner and the brother and the whole family, and he comes walking up. He goes, "Here's your, here's your ball." You know, <laughs> I was so sad for the guy. He gave me the ball, and I said, oh, man, I can't believe you even remembered this. Thanks a lot, you know. And he walks away about 10 steps, and he turns around, and he goes, you know, it's, it's not Bill's fault. And it broke my heart. Yeah. It broke my yeah. heart. I said, of course not. In fact, I yelled after him. I said, without Bill, you, we wouldn't even be here today, you know. And he goes, yeah, and he just keeps walking. I just felt so sorry for him because that was, if there's ever a, cha- a, you know, a case of, uh, hanging an albatross around somebody's neck that didn't deserve it, Marty. It's Bill Buckner. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that they'd already tied the game. If he catches that ball, he flips to Stanley, and we go to the next inning. Right. It's not over. They they think if we if they if he makes that play, we win the World Series. No, we continue on. We right. they'd already tied it up by that point. Yeah. And, and that tied, and then obviously, you know, the game seven came down after that. But uh, that was a, you know, for Mets fans or something, obviously a glorious moment for them. But I, I got to tell you, I, I hate Ray Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him. You know, and you, I'm not because you think, obviously, he scored that run, Marty, but he also stole my glove. I played in a celebrity. He was on ESPN, and I was playing with Channel 3. We played ESPN for charity, and I had this Mike Schmidt Pro Franklin Pro model glove that was perfectly broken in, and I couldn't even catch everything with it. It was unbelievable. You know how you love a certain glove, right? Oh, yeah. It takes a while to break them in. All of a sudden, he comes over. He goes, anybody got a glove I can use? Because he was playing third base for the ESPN team. I go, yeah, this one. He goes, oh, he goes, I love this glove. I said, I got it in a used glove box. He says, I'll give you 50 bucks for it right now. (laughs) He goes out to the field. He played, we play the rest of the game. And then he walks away and I see him in the parking lot, throwing my glove in the backseat of his car and driving away. (laughs) Son of a bitch. I I never forgave him for that. And I don't even like Nancy Lopez because of that. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You know, it's a funny thing. When I got that hit in the 86 World Series, 
to knock in the second run to put us up in extra innings in, in game six. Yep. He was actually one of the cutoff guys, and he said, nice hit, Marty, nice hit. And I thought that was pretty classy of him. I know you can't stand – just kidding. No way. But, anyway, uh, <laughs> but he didn't steal your glove, Marty. If he stole your glove, yeah, you'd yeah. think differently of the guy. But it's, it, was, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, he was uh, – it was really nice to have him do that right at that point. Well, you know, I'm sure there's a good guy in there somewhere with a nice glove. Some, <laughs> yeah, somebody, right? He probably still has it. Um, now, the what do you think of this this day and age now with the rule changes that they've made in baseball? Do you like the speeding up of the game with the like the clock, and do you like the larger bases? Or what are your thoughts, Marty, on that? I love it. I love the speed up. Uh, you know, there's, the games were so long, and my next big thing that I'll love is when they get the computer-generated uh, strikes balls calls because that's the, still the one thing that gets skewed that ruins games. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, uh, calling a ball a strike and vice versa, it just totally changes the count for the hitter and sure. the mindset for the pitcher and za za za. And I just, it, I can't stand it. I mean, I'm, I, the other day I was watching, I think I was watching, I think it was Houston and, and Texas, and there was so many balls that were in the strike zone, and they were calling them balls, and then all of a sudden, once four inches outside, they're calling it a strike. Yeah. So I, I've kind of, I'm a, I'm a fan, and I love, all the replays to get it right. And it is an amazing how many they get wrong. I mean, they overturn probably a thousand calls a year. It is. And the difference between, uh, you know, a two and one count and a one and two count is worlds apart for the, for the hitter. Monstrous. Yeah. Monstrous. Yeah. It, 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 it truly is. And people that know baseball know that that makes a big difference. And I think umpires would embrace it because it takes them off the hook. You know, now a guy's behind home plate, and he can call sure. guys out or safe at home, fair and foul balls. And yeah, I've, sometimes I hear them if the machine doesn't quite uh, pick up, pick it up every now and then, then he can make the call then. But for the most part, he's just back there. People think, oh, you got to have a guy behind home plate. Yeah, he's still behind home plate, but the computer's making the call. Yeah, that's right, and people don't swear and get kicked out of a game for yelling at a computer you know it's not gonna yeah move. you could yeah that would be another thing you'd never have that happen you'd never have that <laughs> you happen. could sit there with four letter bombs on the computer the computer wouldn't care okay get back right. to the dugout um now yeah because the umpires you know that that, that human element everybody said well you got to keep the human element in there well why why not get it right as you said it's much better when you have it actually where people feel justified in, in the in the call and i'm thinking you know those things at the grocery store marty where you got the it scans your can of uh, soup and it beep you know beep. well why not yeah, put a chip yeah. in the ball and when it goes through the strike zone it's like beep, okay it's a strike you heard the beep you know that's a good one. I mean, that's an interesting one too. I mean, they used to have those little uh, uh, things in the hockey, the hockey pucks during the All Star game. Didn't they have something? They had something. A little tracker. Yeah, yeah, you could see it. I think they should do that with the ball. It's simple. If they can put a chip in your dog so he doesn't get lost, they can stick a chip in a baseball so they get the count right. Right. I'm totally with you. How uh, how closely do you follow the Red Sox? Like what goes on with the Red Sox year in year out? So I follow, I don't really, I don't watch them too much, but I definitely follow them online and the box scores and I know where they're at and, uh, and, and what they're going through and the injuries and things like that. And, uh, you know, it just gets a little rough, you know, this year was just, it was tough. I mean, it, for some reason, toward the very end, with like a month left, they thought, man, they might sneak in there somehow. You start thinking of all the ways, Hey, if they do this and this, but, uh, you know, they just, uh, you know, it seems to me like they just don't have the starting pitching and bullpen like they used to have. 
And, uh, you know, they've had some tough injuries. Sale hasn't been available for a while now. But And the same thing with the Angels. You just got to get pitching, and, and that's the main thing. All these teams that win have one or two really top-notch starters, and then the, the third and fourth guys are pretty good too. But I just don't see that, the, you know, the Red Sox have had that happen. And, uh, I, you know, they're just – I still watch them, though. I love watching them. Uh, I love watching games in Fenway and uh, still root for them, you know. I remember you were, uh, I saw a video of you talking to Jerry Remy, who was on some broadcast. I've forgotten which game it was, but they were celebrating your uh, induction to the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. And you talked yes. about the what it was like when you got to Fenway and you saw the Green Monster. Oh, yeah. That was, that was I mean, it's so big, much bigger than you think. You know, you see it on TV, and then you walk into the ballpark, and you come up, you're like, holy cow, <laughs> you know. And you think you think you could throw one over the fence, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't throw one from the foul, from the first baseline. I could, I could hit the wall, but I couldn't throw it over it. I heard but, Reggie uh, Smith, somebody told me, I think it was Bill Lee. Bill Lee, by the way, was best man in my wedding, my second... <laughs> My second, my second wedding, the one that worked. <laughs> uh, Bill told me that Reggie Smith and Yaz during a rain delay had a contest from the first baseline to see who could throw it farther, you know, over the wall. So Yaz was at the first baseline. He threw it, you know, it hit two thirds of the way up the wall from the first baseline, and, and Bill Bill describes it as a hellacious throw. Uh, that he, you know, he ran, Bill, Yaz ran up to the line, threw it as hard as he could. Reggie Smith walked up to the line and threw it over the wall. Oh. Was that sick? It's a 400-foot throw. That is. That, that's pretty strong. I'd like to see Dwight Evans get in that contest. Yeah, we had Dwight on the podcast. Dwight's a great guy. And, you know, he, you want to talk about Marty Barrett and Dwight Evans had more outs in those gloves than anybody else on those Red Sox teams. You know, Evans got Evans tracked down everything. And, Marty, your, your stats are ridiculous. Fielding-wise, you, you hold a bunch of Red Sox records, but the key that I remember here is that not only did you get the all the base hits in that postseason, 367 against the Angels, then you hit 433 against the Mets, but no errors in 70 chances. Yeah, I was on fire then. I mean, it was it was fun. I mean, I took a lot of pride in my defense, and uh, Renee Latchman, who was uh, with us then, the third base coach, but he also had these great charts before, like today, they have it all dialed in for him and everything, but he had these great charts and had me in the right spot. You know, we'd go over where we want to play everyone in the infield, and so, uh, but that was one of my, one of my greatest pride was, was, playing great defense for, for my pitcher. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I loved Roger Clemens and Bruce Hurst. They were just great friends, and 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 uh, I just wanted to do so well for them. Well, you did. You know, you covered a lot of ground. You were like an automatic out. They hit it toward you, and you got it done. Turn in the double play. Now, the let's talk about the injury for a second here, because you had a knee injury, as did, by the way, Dustin Pedroia, a knee injury. And I don't, I don't, I don't like the way these knee injuries take out my favorite second baseman. I mean, this, this, that was a terrible thing with you. You had an ACL tear, right? I did. I had an ACL totally torn. I was, uh, I was, I had the day off actually. And uh, I, um, we were losing, we were beating Toronto 10 to nothing. And then by the ninth inning, they'd already tied it up. And, and I went up there to pinch hit and I fouled off. I had a 17 at bat, pitch at bat against Whoa. David Wells. Finally hit it to uh, Kelly Gruber at third and he kind of threw a little wide. So I just instinctively tried to cut to the inside. And as soon as I cut, my, uh, my knee gave out. Whoa. And 
you know, I'd never experienced anything like that, and I was just hoping it would be okay, but obviously it was not good. It wasn't a happy thing. No, the uh, dreaded ACL. I mean, you know, got got Gail Sayers and a lot of really great athletes, that particular injury. And, and the treatment that you got was you were misdiagnosed, Dr. Pappas at the time, and you had a lawsuit, and you won the lawsuit against because he totally uh, messed up the diagnosis, and you deserve to get paid out for that. Yeah, so he had told me that I had a stretched ligament, uh, a, a, a stretched ligament and some to- some torn cartilage, and he cleaned it all up. And after uh, you know after that I- injury, um, well, then I, I waited a cu- uh, about a, a, a I don't know maybe three or four weeks rehab, and then went down to AAA and rehabbed and came back. And I just started my normal workout after the season, and I could couldn't even do any legs leg curls or anything with this leg I thought, what is wrong yeah so uh i asked you know if i could see dr paps he could look at it and he was out of the country so i said okay and my agent said well let's go to a guy named dick steadman he was the uh u.s olympic team uh, uh knee doctor mm-hmm. handled all the skiers and everything and he was in lake tahoe so i hopped on a jet and went there and uh, when I landed, you know, I, my, my wife said, oh, Dr. Pappas' office, they guys, they said, don't go ahead, don't go, don't go, come back. And I'm like, well, I'm already here. And he went in there and he diagnosed Marty. I, I don't know what to tell you, but this thing's already been debrided and everything. It's been professionally cleaned out, but your, your uh, uh, anterior cruciate ligament is is gone it's totally gone i was like what oh man it was so strange and had he and my position was had he let me know from day one because i did that like in may i could have got surgery right then and and been been back hopefully for the next season but because i didn't find out about it until like october then then i was going to miss the whole next year and then it's a matter of well it's not like it is is nowadays where they they just really know how to do it really good. They've yeah. done all these advanced ways, and so uh, you know I just I tried to play on it without getting it uh, re- uh, reconstructed, and and just I could never get get past it. And uh, so in '91, I played a little bit for the Padres and injured the knee with them, oh. and I just was tired of it, so I retired and got it re- reconstructed like three years later. You got shorted though by six, eight, seven, nine years maybe. In your career, seriously, especially with the science they have today, and if it had been diagnosed properly, it was, it's a, it's too bad for a guy who struck out two hundred only two hundred nine times in three thousand three hundred seventy eight. <laughs> By the way, the other thing you you were really really good at. Obviously, we talked about the defense a little bit, uh, but you you were a specialist in hitting to right and and the the bunting. Nobody bunts anymore, or they don't bunt well, Marty. You were great at that, and you led the league in sacrifice hits three times in a row. Right, right. I mean, Wade Boggs got on, but he wasn't the base stealer, so I needed to get him over there. And, uh, you know, I had some great hitters behind me. It was either Bill Buckner or Jimmy Rice, sometimes Dwight Evans. But, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times when you got a guy like uh, Bruce Hurst or Roger Clemens, sometimes they only need one. So you just want to put the pressure on. So I get them over and then they get them in. Sure. So it was typically my first at bat. If Boggs got on, I would do something like that. Send him a second base with a, with a nicely laid down bunt, an art form which has since dis- disappeared from the game of baseball. Not completely, but almost completely. And, uh, you know, for old school guys like me, you know, uh, I, I enjoyed those aspects of the game. You know, sometimes the one nothing games are better than the 10, the 10 to 1 game, you know, the 10 9 games in, in my mind. Now, speaking of the minors, you were the winning run 
in the longest game in, in the longest professional baseball game in the history of baseball. Thirty three <laughs> thirty three innings. I know in Pawtucket. You you how long was that game? How many hours was that? It was like uh, eight hours. We stopped at four in the morning. It says eight hours and twenty five minutes. God, is that what it was? Yeah, there you go. I don't even sleep that long, and I sleep very well. Uh, now, when you scored, when you finally scored that run, Marty, what what was the feeling of elation on the team? Not just because you won, but because the game was finally freaking over. <laughs> I know it's funny. That was a, it was a. Uh, you know, we continued that game. They stopped it, and then we continued it like uh, two months later during the major league strike, and uh, and uh, and it it was just really crowded, packed, everything. And and I was leading off because it was the I think the bottom of the thirty third. They hit they they got up and didn't do anything. <laughs> no one's ever and said they didn't that even before. Out. No one's ever said bottom of the thirty third before. That's that's yeah. the first time I've ever heard the that. Bottom Marty. of the thirty third, <laughs> and so I got hit. It was the only time I got hit all year. I got hit. And then uh, I think Chico Walker uh, got me over to third, and Dave Coza knocked me with a little blooper to left, and I uh, was giving Wade Boggs high five as I scored. But but the first game, it was just we were so glad they finally call, called it because we were exhausted. We went home, and we had a day game the next day, so we didn't have any batting practice game, and we didn't continue that game. But it was a lot of excitement and kind of got the feel of a big league game. I mean, there was all kinds of press and everything there around the batting cage. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, the longest game. You know, the longest yard of the football movie. They should do one of the longest game. I mean, of course, they'd have to do it in three parts because it's too long. Now, I have a game for you, Marty Barrett, because these are these are 86, 1986 teammates. I get a, qu- a list of quotes. You have to tell me, if you can, which, okay. which of your 86, 1986 Red Sox teammates said this. You ready? Yeah. Playing for Yogi Berra is like playing for your father. Playing for Billy Martin is like playing for your father-in-law. <laughs> I would say that that's something that probably Bill Wagner said. No, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Did he ever play for Billy Martin? I don't know, but it, it was Don Baylor. Oh, you're right. He yeah, played, he, that makes sense. Okay, he played I'll be for better Bill. at this game now. I, I get the connection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here number two. <clears throat> There was no pressure. Defensive replacements aren't supposed to hit closers. Gene Mock caught a lot of flack for changing pitchers, but any manager would take that matchup 100% of the time. Donnie Moore against a defensive replacement who had five at-bats in two weeks? You got to go with those odds. They're in the Angels' favor. Basically, I was looking for a way to get back to our dugout after striking out. (laughs) That was... Oh, what was that? <laughs> big smile. The big smile. The late great. <laughs> the late great center fielder. Was it? Oh, Hindu? Hindu, yeah. <laughs> Dave Henderson. Who's a, who, oh, but yeah. Oh, but he didn't. Oh, he Oh, he thought he was going to strike. Yes, exactly. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then he hit that home run, which was ridiculous and wonderful. And, and uh, the late, great Dave Henderson uh, with that quote. Okay, how about this one? Just by its nature, baseball is a very competitive game with no security. There's always somebody over your shoulder who wants your job, so you just accept it. I'll give you a hint. Go ahead. I'll give you a hint. You you probably got involved in a lot of uh, plays with this particular guy. 
Was this well? Was it Spike Owen? Yes, it was <laughs> the Spikester. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. This is a short one. It hurts a lot more to lose than it feels good to win. You mentioned them already in tonight's uh, podcast. Uh, Dwight Evans? No, it's a pitcher. A lefty. Bruce, Bruce Hurst. Yeah, Bruce Hurst, who's a very nice guy, by the way. Very nice guy. What a nice guy. Uh, here's one for you. You're going to know this one. we got to know this one. I'll do it in his voice, too. <clears throat> I got one for Kobe and, and Corey. I got one for Casey. And, and That's I, Clemens. I needed one for Cody. It kind of takes the pressure off Dad a little bit. <laughs> Roger talking about his Cy Youngs. All his Cy Youngs. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here's one more. A co- okay. Now the, this the guy that said this was not a teammate, but he was talking about uh, Jim Rice. Okay, but who said this? He, Jim Rice, has the right attitude, but I suspect he's not going to get as much opportunity. He had 677 times at bat last year. That's amazing. They'll pitch to him a little differently this time. This is this is weird. I found this quote. I found this quote. Uh, that could have been Don Baylor. It, it was Ted Williams. <laughs> oh, oh. How much contact did you have with Ted Williams in your time with the Red Sox? Sir? A lot, a lot. Mainly in spring training, but... Uh... He's, he's, uh, I love Ted Williams and he used to play uh, chess with his son in spring training. And, uh, he picked me out in my first uh, minor league camp. We were doing videos and he picked out my swing on the, on the monitor and said, who's this kid? That's a good looking swing. That's a good looking swing. I love it. I was like, oh my gosh. I called my dad and I said, Ted Williams said, I got a good looking swing. Did you hear that? Did you hear what he just said? Yeah. The, you know, the thing about Ted was, we, we, I told, I told this story. He went fishing on the American Sportsman show. You know, Ted thought he was the greatest fisherman on earth. He's telling everybody in the crew that was filming him, Kurt Gowdy. I'm the greatest blankety blank fisherman that ever lived. So the camera guy goes, well, what about Jesus? And 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 Ted says, "Well, you got to go back pretty far." <laughs> God, that's so Ted. All right, one more quote for the great Marty Barrett. Here we go. You know, you're gonna get this one. You got to get this one. Uh, who said this? Which member of the '86 Red Sox staff, uh, team said this when they? Among his well-known quotes made in reference to a game postponed at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland due to fog from Lake Erie. When asked about the situation, he said, that's what you get for building a ballpark on the ocean. <laughs> that's a whale can, boy. It is the can. <laughs> the can. Of course it's the can. I, one time I said the can pitched a good game. I was in the locker room. After, it was afterwards. I said, you know, it's a good game. He goes, well, he goes, the can can do what the can can do. <laughs> know what any of that stuff means but uh now i want to tell you one more story marty about how you saved my life okay it's kind of funny and and true because all all the best stories are true you know there's no question it's opening day 87 at fenway i'm standing in the right field where the tarp comes out there doing a live shot and i got my microphone my back is to the field and i'm doing just about to do a go live with with a live shot for the news at noon on channel three or some stupid thing and All of a sudden, you know, the batting cage is up. The Tigers are hitting batting practice. All of a sudden, I hear, heads up, heads up, heads up. I turn around, and the ball was two feet from my face. I put my hand up, and it hits my hand, and it was going to hit my face. <laughs> I, I put my hand up, and I, it hurts so bad on my hand, and I knock it down. And I'm, it's, Honestly, 
And I look, and it's you running. Up. You, you said, "Man, you got to watch it when you're out here." You know, I said, yeah. yeah. He, he goes, "That was close." I'm like, "Yeah." And I thought, Marty Barrett just saved my life. And I looked in the cage. Who was it? Dave Bergman. I said, "I'm, I'm I hate Dave Bergman, and I love Marty Barrett." <laughs> we got it done there, brother. That was that was a great moment for me because look at I'm still alive, right? You're still alive, still ticking. <laughs> I'm still alive. Well, Marty, good luck to you on everything you're doing. I hope you're well. I hope your family's doing well. And uh, you know, we, you don't blame. No one can ever blame Marty Barrett for anything that happened in 1986. Nobody does blame Marty. I know, Barrett. but I'm saying it because people try to throw blame on that World Series on every single body. It's not fair. They do. It's not fair. They do. And the curse is broken, and everybody's happy uh, ever after. But uh, thanks to you for joining us on the podcast here, uh, my friend, and uh, it's great to hear your voice. I really enjoyed it. You guys have a great time, and, and enjoy this great World Series that's coming up. I know it. And, and the 37th anniversary of the 1986 series, ladies and gentlemen, Marty Barrett. Thanks a lot, Marty. All right, fellas. Bye. Take thanks, care. Marty. He's a good guy, isn't he? Yep. He's Very good. good guy. Um, so... We're going to wrap up this podcast. I don't even know how long this podcast has been, but I love talking baseball. I, I really do. Oh, what's that? That's a commercial for um, uh, our sponsor. Oh, oh, oh. Is that what the team? I thought you were going to like time out. Jesus. Or calling should, me should for have done this, it's right? unbelievable. He should have done this um, with a gun. What's that? I thought you were calling me out for uh, you know a technical foul of some kind. Uh, this episode of the Planet Mikey podcast has been brought to you by our good friends <laughs> at Strassian Firearms and Gunsmithing, your local friendly firearms shop, Hadley Street and Bill Ricca, where the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, oh, so a lot, good thing that wasn't loaded, uh, is alive and well. Uh, if you need to get a firearm of any kind or some instruction on how to use a firearm or, or what you need for, yep. he's got you totally covered on every single angle of firearm ownership at Shawshine Firearms. You see what I'm wearing today? A T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. It's a, in, is it cold in here or are those uh, not your nipples? Those are little bullets. <laughs> you, you have a God-given right to self-defense. Call Vinny at Shawshine Firearms. He'll give you the straight scoop on everything. Tell him that you heard it on the podcast and that you want a deal and he will take care of you. He's a good, good guy. Good news, everybody. I don't know if you've heard, but this state of Massachusetts passed a gun bill. It was a 120 to 38 vote. That's amazing. Now we're all going to be much safer because you know what? All the criminals are going to give up their guns because they passed the law saying that they can't carry a firearm. Can you believe it? It's like, why did we just think of this sooner? So if you're a criminal, you're not allowed to carry your firearm anywhere now in Massachusetts. You will be breaking the law. If you're a cop too, and you're off duty, you're not allowed to carry a gun either. See, now nobody's got a gun. Perfect. Right? Hey, Vinny, he's got a way with words. He does have a way with words. He does. Yeah, and I, by the way, I just so you guys know, I have my firearm on me right now because I'm a secret agent in my other job. Really? I'm a secret agent. You know that? Is it loaded? Here's Joe and Jerry. There's a man who leads a life of danger. To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger, Joe. With every move he makes, another chance he takes. Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow. That's Shaw's Secret Agent Man. Secret Agent Man. Given you a number, you smoked it, and taken away your name, Joe. 
two verses to this. Beware the pretty faces that you sit on. Find, rather. A pretty face can hide an evil mind. Well, be careful what you say, Joe. Keep yourself away, Joe. Odds are you won't live to see tomorrow. Secret Agent Man. Secret Agent Man. They've given you a number, but they've taken away your name, which is kind of sad in a way. It's hard to live without a name. What's your name again? It's, it's Joe. Joe, have we met? Of course we've met, Troop. We've done thousands of innings of play-by-play -play together. What's that smell? Don't you worry about it. I'm worried about it, all right. Oh, that's putrid, Joe. Secret agent man! Secret fucking agent man! God damn it! They've given you a number. Take it away your name. Take away my gig here. Take me away, Joe. I hope it's soon.